let's open in prayer. God, we're delighted that you are a good and gracious master and Lord and King, that you um, give us one day of rest a week, and it's the first day of the week that we may rest, rest in you, that you gave us life, that you gave us new life, that you provide for us, protect us, care for us, and we uh, trust in you. And that even when we go to church and have hospitality on Sunday and do different things, it's a physical day of rest as well. Thank you for this time that we get to study your word and uh, uh, stay on the path from the faithful of old. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. Some of you are probably old enough to know what cliff notes are. Um, and some of you may never know what cliff notes are. And sometimes if you ever had to be prepared for something, you would um, read the cliff notes um, and never have time to read the book. And other times you would uh, read the cliff notes and then when you later back and read the book, it was like, oh, Cliff Notes didn't do it justice. I mean, I appreciated the themes, but, um, and it's the same with movies. Oh, that movie wasn't nearly as good as the book, right? Um, that's because when you truncate something down, it's never as good as the real thing. It just, it isn't as good as the real thing. And so um, today, and for the next several weeks, we are gonna be looking at the Westminster Confession of Faith larger catechism and shorter catechism. And so, um, as a background, those are uh, standards of the church, but they're always below scripture. Scripture is the ultimate authority, the ultimate standard, and while these things are helpful, um, and, but they're not inspired, they're not ordained, but they are a path, and if you will, cliff notes or short-term memory things that we can use. Oh, I should explain what cliff notes are to, to people who don't know. It's um, some guy, I'm assuming named Cliff, first name or last name, I don't know. But if you had a book this thick, um, uh, Moby Dick, I'll just pick on a big thick book, Moby Dick, he would in this, this much where you could get it done in, in a half hour, know who the major characters are, know what the theme of uh, the book is, um, but you wouldn't get the full story. And, and that's kind of like um, the Westminster and a lot of the creeds and confessions that we, we say every Lord's Day. And I'm going to go through some of those creeds and confessions. But oftentimes I'll ask my grandchildren, what's the story of the Bible? Kill the dragon, get the girl. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. That, that's a good summary of, of, of Scripture. But that, that misses out in the story of Joseph, Noah, Abraham, sacrificing Isaac, foreshadowing today Genesis 22, in the sermon, right? But it is a good summary of scripture. So throughout, throughout the centuries, since the time of Christ, there's been a number of creeds and confessions. Um, and what are the two that we, that we recite most of the calendar year? That we want every child just through repetition to memorize. And for us to always think when we hear heresy or hear something other than what we recite, oh, that's bad. We wanna know we want to know what a dollar bill looks like, what truth looks like, so when we see the counterfeit, we know what truth is. Yes. So, loudly enough for everybody to hear. Apostles' Creed and Nicene Creed. That's exactly right. These creeds have stood the test of time. And what creed do we say twice a year? Yes, Jedediah. 
Right, and we, we say those on Trinity Sunday and Christ the King Sunday as we try um, to follow the, um, the ch church calendar um, at least as much as we do and hopefully more than our, our U.S. government calendar. Not that the church calendar is inspired either in the Bible, but we want to we wanna set our path um, because we're, we're children of, of our Heavenly Father and Jesus is our Father and the church is our mother and we want to follow that. So creeds and confessions oftentimes can be truncated down and summarized, right? Is things you affirm and things you deny. So affirm means things I believe and things I shouldn't believe, right? And so that's why I said when we say the Apostles' Creed and Nicene Creed every Lord's Day, we want to say, oh yeah, here's truth, things to be believed, and then things not to be believed. So in addition to the Apostles' Creed and Nicene Creed and the Athanasian Creed, we have the Chalcedonian definition, and that goes back to 431. We have the Augsburg Confession of Faith, um, that is the standard document for Lutherans. Some of you may have a Lutheran background. Um, I have a Lutheran background. I know Tim Norheim has a Lutheran background. Tim's dad was a, a faithful pastor in the Lutheran church. We have the Belgium Confession of Faith, Belgic Confession of Faith. We have the Articles of Religion, um, oftentimes called the 39 Articles. We have the Canons of Dort. And so these, if you come back from a, a classic Reformed church, those would be the, the standard documents. If you're Scots or Presbyterian or English, you would subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith. And then there's also a London Baptism, Baptistic Confession of Faith. And there's different versions of each of these two as people try to modernize language or infuse a little um, water in the soup, if you will. Water it down, make it more palatable to um, the culture of the day, the zeitgeist of the day. And so then you have the Heidelberg Confession, and you have the Westminster Larger Confession, and the Westminster Shorter Confession. So our church, when we were founded in our constitution, um, the wisdom of Doug Dahl and myself, he was the, uh, he is the man, not was the man, he's the man that oftentimes sits in the back far right, very instrumental and very helpful in the founding of the church and in the leading of the church for many years. He is a little older now and he lives up in Princeton and he has family up north, so he, he makes it down probably 60% uh, of the time, but he has got great wisdom and, um, and he's not just some old man that sits in the back, he's, he's worthy to get to know. But he and I thought that you know, there's truths in all these documents. Um, there's probably 90% overlap in all these different creeds and confessions. Um, with that said, um, depending on your theological bent, depending on your belief system or how you read the scriptures, um, you tend to sway toward one of these confessions or creeds more than others. I think all Christians subscribe to the, the Apostles' Creed. Um, Roman Catholic, um, Orthodox, Protestant, all the stripes of each. Um, um, you know, they say Protestants have all these different, def all these different subcategories. So do Roman Catholics. So do, so do the Orthodox. Um, but then, when you get to like the Nicene Creed, the Eastern Church, there's one word that you know there's a separation from, and then 
as it goes throughout history, there's more separations. And what I did was just um, <clears throat> communicate to you the, the history of when these things were, were written. So our church had the Book of Confessions. We subscribed to all of them. These are our Book of Confessions. But where there's exceptions, exceptions in them, you know, differences of opinions, differences of thought, different thought of doctrine, then we said we subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith. So that was the, the trump card, if you will, for all the other confessions and creeds. Um, all that said, throughout time, as we've done some, we've tried to clarify and be helpful as our church has grown. We dropped um, the book of confession idea, and we kept the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Westminster, and we say these other documents are helpful. I think we've kept all the, the reform doctrines, which would be the 39 Articles, Canons of Dort, Heidelberg, and, and the Belgian Confession of Faith. So what we're talking about for the next many Sundays is, that's just introduction, is the Westminster Standards. And when, you, when, you, when somebody summarizes the Westminster Standards, um, it's the Confession of Faith, larger catechism, and shorter catechism. And so you might be begging the question, well, the Heidelberg Confession of Faith, right, which is very pastoral, very good. We need to do that one too, um, and, and all of them. But is there a Heidelberg Confession of Faith? Is there a larger catechism? Is there a shorter catechism for Heidelberg? No, right, for none of them. So it does beg the question, why does the Westminster have all these three? What's the differences and nuances of them? So, sorry, I have um, a bit of a, a throat issue, so I'm sucking on things, so I don't mean that to be rude. Um, so a bit of a history is, it, as the Reformation was sweeping through Europe, and people were reading scripture for the first time, because the printing press was invented, children, who invented the printing press? Yes? Johann Gutenberg, that's right. And so for the, the scriptures, uh, you might, I mean, this is, it, it's easy to make fun of Roman Catholics, and I don't want to go off on too many tangents, but I think these tangents are always interesting. Um, in the Roman Catholic Church, Protestants always, I remember, I remember hearing it from the Lutheran Church growing up, that, oh, the scriptures were tied to the pulpit. You couldn't ever read them. Well, think how expensive the scriptures would be if they were handwritten. Handwritten and paper was very rare right? They didn't want it to be stolen. I mean, it makes sense, but I heard, oh, they would never let access to any, anybody to read it. That was probably true as well, because if I was in control of all the information, right, and you couldn't verify anything I was saying today, and clearly people that are up front that are teaching misspeak all the time, and my children always say that I speak mix a lot. Um, that was supposed to be funny. Um, speak mix, misspeak. If you have to explain the joke, it's not very good, I guess. But we can make mistakes, but you all can go look up the Westminster Confession of Faith, larger short. You can read these documents. You have the scriptures in front of you, and you can say any given Sunday, so Andrew's going to preach here. He's not, not here yet, and he's been in seminary, and he's going um, to uh, go through Genesis 22, and if he says something, and he won't, he's a good, good Orthodox man, but if he says something, you can go to the scriptures and say, wait, how, how does that Right? But that didn't exist at the time of the Reformation. It didn't exist. People couldn't read scriptures. Some people couldn't read. Only the educated could read. 
I know that sounds silly, only educated can read, but that's why we teach our children to read. It's not that you go out and get a job, it's that you can read the scriptures, so you know how to be a free man. Free, not in the sense that you're not in submission to anybody, right? We're always in submission, submission to somebody. There's always superiors and inferiors. We'll get to that in the, in the Confession of Faith, Larger and Shorter Catechism. But it's that you're free to be able to worship God. You're free not to be enslaved to sin. We're enslaved to sin, right? That's slavery, that's bondage. And now we're free men. We're not, we don't have to live in sin. So I won't go through the full um, background uh, of all these confessions of faith, but if you're ever gonna get wine to serve and one of the, the deacons says, go, go to the safe and get wine, What's the password for the, the wine? When did Luther nail the 99 thesis? What was the year? No, too many times. Yes, Nate. Nathan, you got it? Oh, you're just putting your arm around the sun, lifted it up too high. Yes, 1517, right? So in many regards, he wasn't not in many regards, let me be real clear. He wasn't saying, I'm going to separate and start Lutheranism at that point. He was reading scripture and he had a bunch of questions. And so he was nailing these questions on the church door. And that wasn't like an angry church door. That was like, if you go to some cities on light poles, they have lost dog, garage sale, something for sale. That's where all the announcements for the congregation were there. Jennifer and I had the pleasure of visit, visiting Wittenberg um, in, on the 500th anniversary, 2017. And it's a big old door, and they don't need more put, put nail, nail things on there. But he just had questions as he read scriptures. How, how does this, what I'm reading, agree or disagree with what, what, the church is, what the church is saying? And by the way, do not throw out everything in the church pre-1517. That's a temptation, right? The biggest temptation of broadbrush evangelicals is that if the book wasn't written in the last 10 minutes and found at the local bookstore, we don't think it of value. But Athanasian, right? We, we believe the Trinity, not because the word Trinity is in the scriptures, but that these men of old faithfully went through scripture and made it really clear. And so when we try to explain it to a child, we know that if we say it's like an egg, that's modalism. That'd be a heresy, right? Trinity is very difficult to understand, but these men were faithful. From the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, all the way through all these creeds, right? They've stood the test of time. We follow Augustine, Aquinas. Not, these guys aren't inspired. Their works that they wrote aren't in the Bible at all, but they're very, very helpful. So we don't throw everything out before 1517, and we don't throw everything out from 1517 until 10 minutes ago. That's an exaggeration, right? But we want to study these documents, which is why we're studying the catechism. So many of you have been catechized. In part, our church, a lot of churches are very, very, very insistent on catechizing the children. That you can, re, that you can remember and you can recite all, I should know, 50 to 120 of the different you know, questions, question one, all the way through on the questions. Um, tells you I don't even remember how many questions there are in each of them. But almost everybody here remembers one, right? One. And this is the larger, shorter, shorter, short, larger and shorter catechism. What is the chief end of man? Aletheia. No, 
Louder, that everyone can hear, please. Yeah? Can you say it louder that everybody can hear? And there's a part B to that, too. Do you know the part B of that? To glorify God. That's right. I want children to learn how to use their rhetorical skills to stand up. Or you don't need to stand up, but it's, maybe I should start encouraging you guys to stand up and say it loudly. Yes? To enjoy God and to, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Right? All right. What does that mean? Because when I first heard that, I was a young athlete, probably thought I was much better than I was, and I thought of glory is what an egocentric God I had. Like somebody that demands glory. You probably didn't think that. But what does it mean? What does it mean to glorify God? Speak of his goodness. Speak of his goodness. Keep going. To reflect, to reflect his goodness. Praise. Sorry? To praise him. Obedience. Obedience. All right, well, that's good, that's good enough. So, I don't know if you guys are, are baseball fans, but God certainly was because the beginning of the Bible starts in the big, big inning. That's a baseball joke, dad joke. So, but you got to go back in the beginning, right? Who was here before the beginning? God. God was here. So, He is the artist, He is the writer of this great play of redemption history. He is the writer, right? Can the art tell the artist what the art? I mean, it's ludicrous, right? Does the art bear the image of the artist? Right? Can, uh, can the art do anything but just be there as a reflection of the artist? I'm trying to use in these examples the words you guys gave me, right? To reflect the work of the artist. Impossible not to. Right? So, uh, we were created in the what of God? Genesis 1.26. In the image of God, right? He's the artist. We're the image of God. So, we're either a good image bearer or a bad image bearer. But it's inescapable. Every human. Wait, when I say every, does it mean every? Yeah, every, every, all. All of us, anybody who's ever been born. What about that guy that ugh, all tattooed and earringed and hates God or wants to become a, a girl instead of a boy? Yeah, born in the image of God. That's why it's such great defiance. Great defiance. Right? Every time it's great defiance when we choose to sin, when we choose not to be obedient. Right? It was great defiance of our Creator. He gave us life, right? And I've said this a few times, and I'm trying to get it in everybody's mind, but every time everybody is born, you're born in water and blood, right? When you're born again, Jesus, boom, in the side, water and blood. We're born in water and blood. These are themes. He's, he, he made us. He bought us back. He's given us new life, life and, and new life, free from sin. We're no longer in bondage to sin, right, enslaved to sin. Our master is a good and gracious master. We owe him everything. But unlike an animal, God gave us 
free will. There's no conflict between God's sovereignty and free will. Free will. Some people who are tend not to think Calvinistic, and I, I try not to ever say I'm Reformed or Calvinistic or this because most people have never read the documents, but if you read the Institutes of Calvin, there's no violation. Calvin's a big free willy. That was a pun for the, you know, the whale, you know, the movie The Whale, Free Willy. Um, but there's no conflict. If we think there's a conflict, that means we did something for ourselves. We worked to believe. We weren't really dead dead. We were mostly dead, right? Not dead in our sins. We're mostly dead, and we had to reach for the life raft. No, we are dead bones. Is that Isaiah? Ezekiel? Ezekiel. Dead bones. We're dead, 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 and God gives us life. We are dead in our sins. So God gives us life, right? Did any of you guys choose to be born? No. Did any of you choose to be reborn? You can say, well, yeah, it was a decision I made, but not after God quickened your heart. That's called order salutis. God quickens your heart, and you respond. You respond. I mean, it might be instantaneously, but every second of every day, we decide to follow Jesus. We decide if we're going to be... Um, transitioning, I'm picking on a gross sin, right? Transitioning to something other than a good image bearer of God or we're going to be a good image bearer of God every second of every day. <clears throat> Trials come. Trials come in our lives. We wake up, we want to clean our bed, clean our bedroom, and then we're all excited to do it right after breakfast Then our mom tells us to go clean our bedroom. And then what happens? All of a sudden, we don't want to clean our bedroom anymore. What is my idea? It was a pretty good idea. When my mom tells me to do it, not such a good idea, right? When our boss asks us to do something, when our husband asks us to do something, um, whenever, we, we like to be in control. We want what we want, when we want it, how we want it, right? And we can always say, well, those guys over there, they're the real bad guys. Nope, they're created in the image of God. We're created in the image of God. So if you were to take a look at everything around. Who's in the center? Who's in the center? It's not self, it's God. God. So if you're mowing your lawn, who's in the center? If you're um, out, out in the pasture rounding up sheep, if you're building a wall for somebody, if you're putting in a kitchen sink, if you're trying to adopt children, right? If you're going to school, if you're writing code, if you're fighting cancer, who's, who's the center of all of it? Right, yeah. And everything around that circle, so think of a wheel, you know, God's in the center, and then everything around that wheel, right? All the stuff we do throughout the day, get up, have a cup of coffee, shower. Are we making the decisions? Yeah, are we making decisions to be a good image bearer? Reflecting his glory? Or are we choosing to do everything for our own glory and be bad image bearers? So who gets to enjoy God? Right? Who gets to enjoy God? Who's we? All image bearers of God get to enjoy God, right? But who enjoys God the most? Those that believe, yes? Louder, please. Can you repeat it, Verity? 
Jesus and the Holy Spirit. That is like beyond the best answer, one even I didn't even think of. So I'm going to go down that tangent for a second. Why is Jesus able to enjoy God more than anybody else that's ever lived? Great answer. Yes. Loudly. Yep, yep. I'm looking for, um, what was the hymn number, 497? Your favorite hymn, Aletheia, that your dad rejected? First hymn I ever learned how to play on the piano. What's the name of it? Say it loud. Trust and obey. Because Jesus, 100%, every time he had a chance, every time he had a choice to put himself in the middle or keep God in the middle, Every time, every, every, every time, every means every, all, all means all, all the time, he chose to trust and obey God 100% of the time. So he was the best, the only ever true reflection of God's glory. And it says so in the scriptures. That's just, it's just not her, it's really in the Bible that Jesus reflected God's glory, brought to the earth. So we would have an example Right? So those little, I shouldn't say silly bracelets, but I started to. I will. So those little silly bracelets, WWJD, really it. They aren't silly, right? There you go. We've got a silly one right there. But they're reminders. Every time you look at your wrist, right, what would Jesus do? Trust and obey 100% of the time. Therefore, he was able to enjoy God's goodness better than anybody else, right? Right? We, we have to choose to trust and obey. We're the first Adam failed, right? The second Adam succeeded, right? First Adam failed. So we talk about covenants in this church a lot, right? <clears throat> uh, Kyle last Sunday gave a definition of covenant. Anybody want to, this is probably not the little ones, this is probably the big ones, but who can give me a definition of the covenant? Yes, Jed. It is a promise. Made by? Yes, Quinn? And who's the sovereign? God. Sovereign. King of kings, Lord of lords, God, artist, the one that controls everything. And if somebody ever says to you, um, well, God never intended this to happen, well, then you say, I want to worship the God who did intend it to happen because he's greater than my God. Right? And, and that doesn't exist. Our God is the sovereign. So... Um, Keep going with the definition. Okay, that's good. Yes, you can add to it. It's initiated by the sovereign. That's right. There you go. So we, we can put all this together. A promise, right? Duties and responsibilities. Think privileges and responsibilities. Admin given by a sovereign, the higher authority, with promises, right? Duties and responsibilities. So where is the first covenant of the Bible? Who, who did God, our sovereign, make the first covenant with? Yes. Adam. What do we call that covenant? It's called two different things. I like one and I don't like the other. You, you got a you got a you got a younger one here, like like up in front. That's like everybody can talk. 
covenant of creation, you said? What did you say? The Adamic covenant, and what was the other one? So, Garden of Eden, you could say that. Those are more neutral. I, I, I like those. When I say neutral, it's Arnie's word, not inspired, not cliff notes, and not published. I hate when somebody says it's the covenant of works, um, but that's oftentimes what it's referred to. I, I like it's the covenant of life. Um, but it's also the covenant of Eden or the covenant of Adam because he gave it to a Adam. Those are fine too. Those are more neutral, but the covenant of life is what I prefer. Um, why is it the covenant of life? Did Adam choose to be born? No, there he was, right? Like, like a little child. And those of you that have children, you gave them the covenant of life. Why are they to obey you? Because they're yours. Why are you to teach them to be good image bearers? Because God gave you that duty and responsibility. So the covenant of life. What was Adam to do? He failed, but what was he to do? He was to be like Jesus, trust and obey in God and everything. Be a good, good image bearer. Was work pre-fall or after fall? Pre-fall, right? So work is not sinful. He was to work. What was his dominion? What, what was his mandate? Yeah, tend the garden. Yeah, be fruitful and multiply. Take dominion of the garden. Latin students, pick on Lauren because she's the Latin teacher. So she's really on the hot seat. What is the root word of dominion? Domus. That's right. What do you guys think it means? To lord over. Right? So as little children mimic parents, the good news and bad news is they mimic you righteously, but they oftentimes mimic your sins too, right? You see your sins and then your children really, really clearly. Um, Adam was to be a mimicker. Calvin calls it babbling. We repeat God's back to him like little children babbling. But he was to be a good image bearer and do what God did. What did God do before Adam? This is all how we chief end a man, right? Glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is just background stuff. If you go to the larger catechism and look at all these proof texts that they give, this fleshes it out. What did God do before creating Adam? created the whole world. I mean, talk about an artistic. Can you look at a flamingo and not laugh? Right? He created everything. And we are to mimic and be recreators. Right? So when you're writing computer code, are you doing it for your glory or are you doing it because you're a sub-creator taking dominion over something? Right? When you're building something, when you're running a company, right? These are all things that we do. And we either do it with us at the center. Look at me, look at me. Or we're doing it say, boy, God is good. And you have the most enjoyment when you are trusting and obeying in God. So I wanted to leave time for questions because I usually don't. And I do have more material here and Bible verses. But what does it mean to glorify God. What does it mean to be a good image bearer? Who are image bearers? Why is it important to repent from sin? 
These are not rhetorical questions, right? Every second of every day, we have to answer these questions in our life. Because God tests us in a variety of different ways. Variety of different ways. And just like little math students that try to learn how to count one, two, three, four, right? And then they can't remember five, and they try it again. And those teens, boy, 10, I got 10. 11, 12, ooh, that's, that's harder. And then you do additions and subtractions, and you do multiplications, and you keep getting. So it is with trust and obedience, trust and obey. The minute you think you conquered one sin, conquered it, mortified it, right, put it to death, what's the next thing that happens? Right? Yep. You get another harder one, right? This is a lifelong deal of being sanctified. What's a good definition of sanctification? Sure, to make holy, to become a better image bearer, right? God is holy. We're being coming, we're becoming holy. We are holy. It's the already but not yet, right? It's the already but not yet. We're holy, set apart, but we're really not holy. We're not 100% because we sin constantly, right? Jesus was 100% holy. He was put on the earth to do the WWJD, that he is our image bearer. Right, so all these things are connected. All the, what did God call us to do? To do good works, right? In bearing image, we do good works, right? And don't spiritualize it. <clears throat> Think getting married, making babies, husbanding a wife, fathering and mothering children, working at a company, doing your best, not stealing from your employer over and over again. All the routines of life. Playing sports and being in competition, and the greatest compliment you can give the opponent is try your hardest to beat him. Right? You're doing it all for the glory of God. To run, run your fastest. Train your hardest. Steady Greek to the utmost. Right? Be the best farmer. Be on top of your work so that you can brag. No, no, so that you can help somebody else. Right? So that you have an answer, an apologia. I think John Kaus in, in Sunday school. So you have an apologia, a defense for why you do what you do. Do you do it because you want to earn more money? No. Money is just a byproduct. You want to bear fruit, right? Right? We're called to do good works, to bear fruit, be fruitful and multiply. Right? So who are the fruit, parents? Who are your fruit? Right? Your children are your fruit. That's right. And you're teaching and training them. <clears throat> you're teaching and training them as they, <clears throat> as they reflect your glory. I mean, I might not know all the kids' names, but boy, if I look at them, I go, you belong to so-and-so, you belong to so-and-so, right? That's a reflection of glory, right? All right, let's see if I need to cover anything else. You guys really, I brought show and tell. I thought I brought more show and tell. I have, um, I'm not telling you to buy, and I'm not a book salesman at all, but this is the Spirit of the Reformation Study Bible. It's a, I think they have it in ESV, which is what we choose to use here, but it's also NIV, and I think there's a New King James Version too. But you should really have the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, you should really have the larger and shorter catechisms, something that you can point to. This is a book that has all, all three in it. That's why I like it. Somebody sells it. They're not that expensive, but when your child comes to you and says, Daddy, um, why? 
The child hasn't said why. <laughs> Job said why, right? Right? We say why whenever we don't get what we want when we want it, right? And remember, remember at the last or second to last chapter of Job, what God told Job when he says why? What did God tell him? Where were you when I made the foundations of the earth, right? In the beginning, right? He gave us life. He can, he can paint us into the story however he chooses to. And we need to be faithful and with whatever God gives to us. But when we say why, <clears throat> when you have little children, you say because, God, because dad told you to, because mom told you to. That's probably enough. When they get a little older, if you don't know the scriptures well enough to point to an objective standard, then it's just your opinion, right? So if you study the catechism, study the confessions of faith, larger and shorter catechism, even the proof texts, I mean, they're the cliff notes right there for you. Oh, let me tell you why. Because that's training your children, building them up in righteousness, right? All right. Questions? Yes. Um, I think Scott spoke loud enough for you guys to all hear, but um, I, I, I grew up with that um, exact. I mean, don't read a book, don't read. Um, uh, it, and, and, and God bless my parents. I'm, I'm indebted to them the rest of my life, not just for the life, but for the training and upbringing they gave me. Um, but just read the Bible. Don't worry about this other literature. We didn't read anything. There were no books um, in our house really except the Bible. Um, but then I thought it was a little bit weird when at age um, 11 or 12, I forget how old I was because I was a little younger for my grade, that... Um, then we had to study the Augsburg Confession of Faith. It's like, well, how, how is that different? And that's Scott's question. Well, why is this helpful? If someone says, just read the Bible, just read the Bible, um, why, why look at these catechisms, confessions, creeds? So that's his question. What's the answer? So um, I think everybody heard that, but individual interpretation could be pretty, pretty dangerous. Um, some of the Bible studies that broad brush evangelicals are, what does this scripture say to you? Ugh, bad question. Um, you just want to get, um, so that is a risk. And so the answer to that is that we have a history of, history of teaching that we can see if we're faithful to, but there's also histories of faith, in, faith, faith that are unfaithful, right? Plagiarism, for example. I mean, there's so there's always histories. It's which path are you on? Other other answers to Scott's question? I see your hand, Stephanie. Yes.
Yeah, different strengths and skills. Some people are wired differently. Exactly right. Stephanie. So um, I can give you all, all, the, all these things are right. I'm not. I'm. I'm going to wait. I'm going to. I'm trying to. I think I'm going to cut you off from the answer. You probably have a better answer than me, and you're welcome to speak after me. Um, but otherwise, we can go to more questions. I tried to answer that question at the introduction, and that was, and I do this constantly with my little jokes, like in the beginning. Um, it was a little joke, but I want you to think. In the beginning, whenever you're tempted to sin, in the beginning, right? These little people remember, chief end of man, right? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Where is that in the scripture? It's not. There's no verse that says that. There's stories all around, right? There's stories all around the scripture. Um, the story of Adam, the story of Moses, all the covenants, right? We went to the, the covenant of Adam, Moses, cut of covenant of, 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 of Abraham. What were the signs and the seals of the covenant for Adam in the garden? We have signs and seals, right? What are our signs and seals at Christ Church? Baptism and communion, right? Right? We want people baptized, and we, we want to take communion every Lord's Day. What were the signs and seals? God made this covenant with Adam, what every day did he look at to remind him of that covenant? Two trees, right? Two trees, right? Two trees. And every time we sin, we do the same thing that Adam and Eve said. Well, did God really say? Did God really say? I don't know. I think maybe this time. So the answer to Scott's question is there's no quick, direct answer, but sometimes summaries... Um, for certain people that, as an introduction, it's, it's, it's like giving a kid um, two plus two versus, versus a calculus problem. So they're helpful, but they're always below scripture. Do you have a better answer to your question? The discussion was what I was looking for. Um, I guess I would, I would say um, they are helpful for all of us, just like God gives us pastors and evangelists Do you have anything to add? I 
going through the creeds and some confessions keeps us from being tossed to and fro by every wave of doctrine. That is good. All right. Yes. Is true. All right, right before I close in prayer, the second question in the larger catechism. If anybody 13 and under knows it, Dan Collins will give him a candy bar. How doth it appear that there is a God? And so next Lord's Day, Lord willing, we will gather again hopefully more of us, encourage others to come to Sunday school, we are going to look at why we have a scripture versus just um, natural, natural revelation and why we have special revelation as well and how important that is. We'll cover quite a bit more. By the way, that's, that's how the confession of faith starts with, scripture, scripture. Um, and it ties also why most of us are presuppositional versus evidential. Um, so we'll get into a lot more in the next several weeks. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the participation. May it be of benefit to all as we seek to be good image bearers of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.